welcome to the 18th episode of Frontend Happy Hour. Users are extremely sensitive to web performance. The slightest change in the website's load time can impact a user staying or going. In this episode, we will talk about ways to help improve web performance and why it's so important. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce today's panel. Augustus, you want to start off? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Augustus Yoon. I'm a front-end engineer at Evernote. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a UI engineer at LinkedIn. You sound as uncertain. I'm like super uncertain, actually. I was about to say front-end. I'm Derek Showers, a software engineer at LinkedIn. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Slow. Slow. If anyone says the word slow, we will all take a drink. All right. So let's get started on performance. To start with, why does performance even matter? I mean, it's super important because every second that your user has to deal with waiting like it's a chance that they're going to leave um and it really affects like retention measurement um like analytics and stuff right yeah i don't know what this uh, we, i wish i had the statistics as far as like what the drop-off rate is but i know it's like every second it's like especially on a large site like netflix or, or um, linkedin it's like what millions of users every second so it's crazy there's been like some studies published. Amazon uh, said, found that every 100 milliseconds of latency costs them 1% in sales. That's huge. 100 milliseconds is not much, but being able to impact 1% of sales is huge. Walmart also had a study where it said they found 2% increase in conversion for every second that they could save on the load time. A little bit higher than the Amazon saying 100 milliseconds, but still a second for Google, they said 400 milliseconds of increased page load time resulted in like 44% lost search sessions. So definitely performance matters. That is, those numbers don't really lie. Yeah. And if you think about even like some of the most popular websites that are around today, like just Google and Facebook, like I think both of those, the reason, the, the core reason why they're as big as they are is because of, because they started with performance, like first and foremost, right? Like I know from watching the social network, a very reliable source. Obviously. <laughs> um, no, but, you know, Facebook, that, that was their big thing, right? Like that, making sure that their servers didn't go down and making sure that everything was reliable and fast. And then Google, obviously, like you had Yahoo back in the day and AOL that had tons of graphics all over the place. What's AOL? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Google came along and it's like one search box on the page and and, but a white background look, it didn't look pretty but it was just like it was fast it really impacts the user experience right like that's like a big part of it is you're gonna leave if it's completely slow uh, cheers so on that note i think i would probably categorize stability under performance as well so if your website is going down like uh twitter and all of those things that happened last week. Um, if you're at scale, it's probably a good thing to have a backup DNS provider. Uh, it's kind of crazy that one outage could take down half the internet like that. Yeah, it took down a lot of sites. It took Twitter all day to come back to me. I didn't know what to yeah, do. What? I thought it was the quicker I than that. I was going to complain about it on Twitter, and then I realized <laughs> I was on Twitter. Website speed also impacts Google rank. I don't know how much weight Google puts on it, but they actually do care about Google ranking or like how fast your site is loading. So that's even another reason to maybe make sure that it's a quick site. Yeah, definitely. And that's becoming more and more of a thing, um, I think, right? With search results and 
surfacing. That's important for your business is like you want to be the top of the searches. Like yeah. Being on the second page, never good. And they're um, the AMP stuff that they have now. So it's like you get the content. If you have if your content provider, you get it right at the top. Has anyone worked on the AMP stuff yet? I know we've I, been looking at it, but... Yeah, I actually submitted it as my pick a couple yeah, you podcasts did. ago. and So I looked at it, and it looks pretty interesting. I personally haven't tried it, but I'm definitely looking forward to trying it. It's like, it, like it's cool because Google, because Google made it, like they ha- give like if you Google something, it'll say it's like AMP supported or something. Yeah, actually, LinkedIn uh, on the LinkedIn feed, you there's a badge now that says that something's AMP. Oh, okay. Uh, so, like, so, so, cool. so you also get benefits from I'm sure more than just LinkedIn does it, but you know other um, apps or whatever where where uh, you know like okay, I can click on this, I'm gonna get this immediately. Well, yeah, and actually, one thing I wanted to say was it is kind of frightening because. I think as time goes on, like things just get faster, right? Like, I mean, there was one point in time where we didn't have 4G; it was just 3G or or Edge or (laughs) Edge. But I I think that's also something to remember: is we have LTE, we have high internet speeds, but not everyone in the world does. And I think that's really important: is like we need to kind of forget about what it's like in Silicon Valley, especially, but even the U.S. in general. We have fairly good internet but there's like a lot of countries that don't and like you kind of have to think about those users in that perspective too it's not even about time too it's about like if you're on a bad data plan as a country it can cost 30 dollars to load cnn.com it's obscene and we really need to keep that in mind and nothing's that important to spend 30 dollars on yeah and like you don't know when you're a user because there's no gauge for that it just you know kind of happens it's all obscured for me yeah, I really respect companies that like take performance to the utmost priority or they, they show that they care. Like, I, I really respect how Facebook, I don't know if they still do it, but they did this thing where they did 2G Tuesdays where every Tuesday the whole company or something or some teams like would be on 2G, which is what India experiences on a day to day basis to like help combat that. Just putting yourself in that experience. Um, we've done something similar at Netflix as well. We don't have a specific day or anything, but we have networks right in our area where we can actually like connect to and it simulates being on like a 2G network or you can throttle them more and more, but it just gives you that experience. So even when you're testing something on like mobile device, you actually start to understand like, oh, well, there's a lot of latency here and it's it's pretty painful. So at least that you're almost like building to that and then, well, it's going to work that much better on like a fast network. I thought you were going to say you have a day where you all watch VHS tapes. Uh, that would be amazing. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to watch a VHS tape anymore. You'd have to buy a VHS player. <laughs> yeah, but even plugging it in would be difficult in some so of the TVs. Slow. They don't have... It's so slow. There's no... Eight, yeah, cheers. <laughs> I'm interested, like, what are some typical areas to focus on to improve your, like, web application or websites? How do you improve that? Like, where do you start to focus your efforts in? I think you should start that way from the beginning. I mean... Even in the smallest areas, like we're, we've been having, uh, on a project that I'm struggling with, you know, like we didn't take into consideration CSS optimization at the very beginning. And we have in so many selectors and so many like descendant selectors. And people think that that kind of thing is micro optimization, but at a certain point, it becomes a really huge issue. And nobody really wants to refactor CSS. So it's kind of something that you should really think about because it can blow up super quick it adds up quickly like i think that's the thing is it's like slowly it's not so bad but then it gets well i also said slow so cheers twice Twice. (laughs) but eventually it gets worse it really starts to be more impactful to latency 
kind of going with what you're saying, Sarah, is that the thing that I think has hurt us a little bit is we're all, we're so dependent on build tools now. So sometimes like when we're writing SAS or, you know, even JavaScript, we don't think about like what it's actually compiling to. And like, so maybe an example in a JavaScript world is like, we want to use like a, a generator or something. And we were just like, oh yeah, let's just throw that polyfill in so we can use it because it's going to make my code really nice. But it's only going to make your code really nice when you're looking at it right in front of yeah, you. Like, it's go, not going to make your code in production look any nicer. It's going to go nice. look at it, yeah. like what it like yeah. transpiles to. And it's crazy. And CSS is probably the best example of that. Like like you were saying, Sarah, with the yeah the, the selectors and stuff like that can get super out of control. And you just don't think about it. You're like, yeah, I'm writing this really clean SAS that's, you know. It feels great for me as the engineer. I think there is some importance there using transpilers like for CSS or JavaScript. And we've, we've talked about this on a previous episode. I think it is really important to use them in a development environment. It helps us as engineers writing the code. But at the same time, you also have to think about it. How does that impact the user? And I think that's something too, is like there's a balance between the user experience and the developer experience. And you kind of have to make sure that you're thinking both ways. Yeah, you kind of have to be thinking about performance in the back of your head. I would I would say that I definitely favor readability over performance. And like when it comes down to it, when you're writing good readable code, it's probably going to inspire other people to write good readable code. And that's going to make your website more performant. And even when we're talking about things like functional programming, like when you're using functional programming in JavaScript, it's not as fast because you're creating new variables and passing them along all the time. But it's a really clean way to write your app, and it does end up being more performant in a lot of cases. Yeah, do you think that... I think that's a good question because I, I uh, struggle with this often with Ember and their templating sometimes. So, you know, like, for instance, if you use... And, and Glimmer, too, is, is supposed to fix this but if you use blocks like if if blocks um it it like du- essentially doubles the html out or the, the template output and it slows down performance so it's like where do you draw the line for writing readable code and then getting around the you know making it maybe not as easy to understand but getting performance gains out of it yeah, yeah. you have to know your tools and i mean that's probably a good time to like think whether you really want logic in your templates in the first place. I'm sure if is like, you know, a good example of where you would, but yeah. These are questions to ask. Wait, for context, what is Glimmer you mentioned? Oh, it's real quick. Like, uh, so it used to be HTML. Yeah, so thank you. Uh, it was a pick, uh, so you should know. Oh, gosh. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> my bad. Um, no, so HTML bars is like the new name. Oh, okay. Bars is really, it's basically the rendering engine behind, or the template link. Uh, engine behind. Oh, got it. Nice. You're not always starting from scratch. Like I liked what Sarah said is like you need to start from scratch. Think of performance from the beginning. But there's been a lot of times where I've walked into a code base where you're like, whoa, what's going on here? It's like little things like minifying the CSS, minifying JavaScript, cutting down on the like files that it's requesting, making less HTTP requests. That's huge. Probably one of the biggest ones that we haven't even talked about image sizes. Like image sizes are so important. I, I'll remember this one example where it was actually a site that I was working on, like from scratch. It was I was working for a really small like agency that like a designer had started, and he had like a client. And he had hired uh, myself and another engineer to build e-commerce site for um, like beer bottles, like selling to different bars and everything. And it we built it on top of WordPress so that the actual the designer could add all the imagery and everything like that for all the different bottles and like each product. And I remember getting this like nasty phone call at one night of him being like, oh my God, the site is like not loading. It's so painful. It takes like five minutes to load. And I'm like, oh, weird. Like what's going on? 
So I, you know, jump onto Chrome, pull up the dev tools, and right away I start seeing these massive 4 meg, 10 meg images that were full high-res images directly from a digital camera that were being squashed to like thumbnail size. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's going to take forever. But it was just a really good reason to be like, oh, wait, really thinking through that is just like cropping the images, saving for web, making them compressed. It saves so much just because there was a, it was a pretty image heavy site. And you can just imagine like 20 images at four to 10 megs request. It's huge. Yeah, I think this is another a, another really helpful thing is to have people that in the middle between front end developer and designer, because like there's a lot of times where like I'll get assets from a designer and they're just yeah completely not optimized at all. And it's like maybe that designer doesn't really understand the optimization that is required for, or, you know, for, for putting it onto the web or whatever. And I think that's super important. Uh, I wish there was like more of that understanding and, and even on the engineering side too, you know, like more understanding. Or don't just take what you're given too. Yeah. Unfortunately, that time I did, wasn't given them that someone had actually gone and put them. It just to me has always stuck out as a good reminder of make sure you check those images like yeah. immediately. I actually had this exact situation happen last week when I was trying to help a designer friend because he was trying to throw things through a CDN that would serve his images and optimize them. And he just assumed that like, because it's getting optimized, right? Um, it would, you know, be better. But he didn't realize that if you shove a high res image in a, like a tiny box, it's still a small, like a huge image in a tiny box. So like, try and like make sure that as a designer or a developer, you kind of understand how these things work because it does affect your daily job. Images, I feel like images, at least in my experience, maybe this is just my experience. I don't know, but. It seems like um, images are one of those things where the designer assumes the engineer knows what to do. So they just kind of hand off the designs or the images like, you know, however, you know, they're like, oh, don't worry about it. And then the engineer thinks that the designer is like the one. They've thought this out. Yeah, they've thought that they've optimized this and that it's, you know. And And when you're working with a client who's like uploading images to their CMS, like you also need to explain it to them because that's your job as whoever's working for the client. And there's no, sometimes no way around that too, is like, you can explain that one all day long. If no, if someone doesn't listen and they upload it, well, that, that kind of sucks. But I think educating people definitely works. I think it's important to, even in that case, Derek, where you said like the designer and the engineer both thought they were doing, I think it's just worth communicating that and really like saying, you know, talking about how, how small should the assets be and like talking through that, but it's not perfect. But yeah, getting back to even some of the, low-hanging fruit like i think there's even like little things that you can do leveraging browser caching like expiring headers to whether you actually need a resource that's like updated automatically you could actually leverage the browser cache uh enable gzip compression that's that's huge like Like, the the classic interview question right now like how would you optimize this site but these are all the things that you like (laughs) you should be doing and if you're not like enabling gzip is a pretty easy thing to do but it's very impactful for improving a website speed. So definitely something, you know, nine, probably 90% of the time, you're not gonna have to worry about that because that's probably done already in the infrastructure you're working with. But to that point, I think that like you should at least know about it and maybe check for that. And like, you know, if, you know, ask the questions, it's kind of like, it goes back to the same thing as the images thing. It's like, you just kind of assume that it's done a lot of times, right? Like, I actually don't know how many times I've checked to make sure that things are GZIP, especially <laughs> working for a bigger company, because you know, not, you know, it's likely that that's happening. But to your point, it's oh, probably yeah, worth yeah. checking. Worth checking, yeah. Even if you're not in the little innards, I mean, 
if you, you're just doing a simple WordPress site, there are plugins that are especially for that that just completely abstract it away from you. So just check, do the, do the checklist. One thing that I, I'm kind of surprised isn't, well, I, actually it's been a lot more, but just using SVGs in general instead of some image assets. Like, cause, cause SVG is code. You can just like put it into the HTML and it'll render it. Like, and maybe you can do some CSS styling on it. But, and then that's like no request. Yeah, what? There's zero requests whatsoever. And there's like, now you can do like SVG sprites for icons and mm-hmm. stuff. So it's like really nice. And there's, it's way better, but I don't I see more. Just use a web font for icons. No. Shame on you. Shame on no. you. Do not, do not use web fonts. Here's another way. Speed up your website, remove all those web fonts. That is like That's one a different way. Conversation. Different conversation, but it will speed up your site. It so. will speed up your site, but it also dilute a, your brand. I worked for a previous company. I had a client. They wanted to um, install, they, they, we kind of managed their CS or their CMS, right? So they wanted to, to have all of these fonts available to them, including like a font. There's literally a font they oh, God. a grilled cheese font. <laughs> but anyway, it was a hundred. Sounds intriguing. It was 150 fonts that they wanted included oh my God. on their site, so that they had access to it in their CMS tool. Yeah. And uh, we were just like, well, and they were always loading it too. I mean, there's ways that you could also yeah. like abstract that if it's being used to load it, but still, not worth it. No, so don't use web fonts. That's key, not key, a good right rule. There. If Apple didn't have Myriad or Helvetica, their brand would be completely... They'd be fine. Ariel's great. Go. Shush. (laughs) Shame on you, you anti-designer. I am not a designer. Speed matters. I am. Another thing is overusing redirects, and that can be a very costly thing to performance. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a little bit of some ways to improve speeds. What are some good tools to check for web performance? What are some that you use on a daily basis or kind of go-to tools to check? Chrome DevTools. Always Dang it. <laughs> took it. Can yeah, you like dive so down? So What's your favorite part? For me, for checking for performance, I would probably leverage the network or audits has a pretty good dive into some of like what's happening as well. Yeah, or the timeline. Timeline is very good. Especially with the screenshots now. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Like where it's actually rendering. Yeah, because it kind of helps you visualize like where those lines are because you're like, okay, what is What's that, what does that DOM content really, really mean like visually? And you get to see that. So that's cool. I like the timeline too. Just especially for like when you're uh, doing like crazy intense like CSS animations and transitions and you want to see where your GPU is getting like crazy, all sorts of things. And I think you never can learn. And I don't think you can ever be like know everything about Chrome DevTools. Oh yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> well, because they're always adding more into yeah, it, which is great. There's just so much there that like like and I always uh, I went to at uh, 4JS like they went I went to this like advanced Chrome tools. It was the best talk I've seen, and it was. Do you remember who gave it? It was totally uh, off the cuff, Rocco. wasn't it? Yeah, uh, he's he actually hasn't given a lot of talks, but he was. Uh, he was an amazing like presenter, and he, he was like, funny. yeah, he came up with like just really things that you just never would think of. Rocco Bas- um, Balsamo, awesome. Yeah, he was he was awesome. Um, I think it was really cool saying like he was talking about workspaces and how yeah. you can persist your code and save it. So, oh like, yeah, when you're like making CSS changes, normally it, like goes away when you refresh. I think even some of my like go to ones, even sometimes just for checking like an overall website, but I'll use web page tests where it's just like gives you that kind of deeper dive of the entire site. Page speed, I find like by Google is very useful. Yeah, I was also going to um, talk about web page speed test um, because one thing I like about it is it lets you like proxy 
like from any location. So like you could test like from Brazil or from India or and like especially like for Evernote.com, like when we were doing campaigns for like international, we did a campaign specifically for Brazil. It was like really useful to see what the load time for them was because we would just look at what was in America. And then yeah, and then also like Chrome Dev Tools, it's like really awesome because they even like let you control the latency. Well, you can throttle. Yeah, right? you can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can do like two G or three G. It's like so. So you're slowing your website down. Uh, yes, right. that that cheers. 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 Does Google Analytics provide any sort of performance measurement? They, they actually do. They do and yeah. it's freaking awesome. There's yeah. like a view where you can actually see a map overlay yeah. of like hitting a si- hitting a specific like path on your website, like what the page speed times like varies. Um, yeah. Which I think is really cool too, because you get the you get the understanding over time too. So you can actually look at your analytics. Because I mean, we're always putting new features in, and you you're probably impacting that like latency by adding some new feature. So something like that, Google Analytics does actually show you it like throughout like year, month, or whatever you want to dive down to. It's like you can understand what's happening. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great point about looking at things over time. We were just looking at the, the site that I'm working on at LinkedIn. It was, uh, we actually saw load times increase slightly on the weekends. And so we looked at like some data and it was actually because the API calls, when there's more traffic, there's more caching that happens on the API calls. So since there's less traffic on the weekends, there's actually a little bit more latency on the API calls. Um, so anyway, you wouldn't get that unless you're looking at like, but you can see we had a graph that showed the traffic and then overlaid on top of it was, was, um, Dom content ready or whatever. And you can see like the graphs match each other perfectly. Like the traffic would go down and the load time would go up. That's super interesting. So you would never get that though, unless you put those two things together, no. you would have no idea. You'd be like, Oh, it must be more. You probably think there'd be more traffic on the weekends because that's yeah. why the load time's slower or whatever, you know? Like, but I think it's important to always like. Slower? To even leverage oh, yeah, like it's slower, a bunch of slower, slower. Sorry. Cheers. <laughs> I think it's important to to actually leverage those metrics on a daily basis over time. I think it's always important to be looking at those metrics. Some other tools that I even find useful just in their in your build tools. Like you can minify, obviously we talked about that, like minifying your JavaScript CSS. Like you can do that through Gulp or Grunt or NPM or whatever you're running for your build steps, but you can even decrease image size. You can make multiple sizes for mobile, desktop, tablet. I think a lot of those things are really, really useful because it's just something once you build or once you use it and put it in your build, it's done and you don't have to think about it. Now I'm so used to like minification, for instance, like even if I build the smallest thing ever, I'm like, I have to minify that for production. Sure. Just yeah. like- I have a, a- Gulp script that does that that I just throw into every personal project that kind of like is my you know starting point. Your boilerplate. Yeah, uh, boilerplate. Yeah. You always need you, that. You don't use broccoli. I thought you worked at LinkedIn. <laughs> what is broccoli? Who uses yeah, that's broccoli? What it is. <laughs> Vegetable. <laughs> just wait till cauliflower comes out. <laughs> We're all at different companies. Do you monitor performance on an ongoing basis? Like, what metrics are you looking for at your companies? Yeah, well, we started caring a little more. It's still kind of an ongoing thing to like push, but I guess for us, it's been kind of like we will send seldomly have like efforts like, okay, for this like week or month, we're going to try to focus on performance and stuff. But I mean, naturally, it's like if we see something that is affecting performance, we, we kind of gauge the impact of like, how much does this affect? Actually, like we have like this pretty cool story of, so we use GWT for Evernote.com for like, the www.evernote.com web. Well, we use GWT to transpile our Java code to JavaScript. And uh, there is this one instance where 
we were doing this string.equals. And what we didn't realize was it's not just a normal like equals 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 in JavaScript, which is really fast. It does like the Java comparison, like compares if this Java, if this like object is a Java object, which is extremely expensive. And we would like do it if like a note content change. So it takes this gigantic note and does this really expensive operation to check if it's like wow, a string. You probably do that a lot. Oh yeah. 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 Like, and so a- we noticed, so someone like noticed like this is like kind of slow. And then we, ch- we, so we noticed that like it was getting really slow. Like we started doing, I don't know how they did it. They didn't do the console time dot time thing, but that would have been pretty useful yeah. if we knew that. Um, I think we just looked at some like, of the Chrome DevTools stuff. And once we like switch that out for the equals equals, which is like way faster. Yeah. I think no, it's exactly. funny that we have tools that check performance. Cause I mean, I have a friend that like got all sorts of pats on the back the other day because he got alerted within 30 seconds that one of our metrics was down. It turned out being a service that was kind of uh, kicking it. So I don't know. I think it's funny that we write tools just to do this. I think it's good. I mean, cause without having tools in place, it's it's very subjective and like you you know you, how how often do you get like oh this feels slow but like unless you have data to back that like it can be so many different things true data is super important if it feels slow it's probably way past slow and just yeah I mean yeah oh, oh yeah <laughs> cheers you. we missed a couple there yeah. cheers three drinks do you guys look at anything like TTI like time to interact or TTR like time to render is that anything that you typically like is that some metric that like i know that's something that we look at netflix but i'm interested to know is that something that you guys look at as well we do and it's interesting because we're moving more towards single page app uh, experience so on our mobile platform right now and um soon to be on desktop but um so you you that changes a little bit so yeah we have to put a lot of custom events in so that we know when that time to render uh actually happens or we get probably a lot of really nice data because it'd be like rendered in two seconds with a base page that has nothing on it well not two seconds probably hopefully shorter than that well not point you can lazy load certain things they don't it doesn't everything all at once yeah um, yeah tti which is like time to interact how fast can the user actually interact with the page if they have to wait for the entire dom to load and every little script that you've added if they have to wait for everything to render well then that's it's gonna be pretty slow so do you guys start implementing these uh, lazy loading and like uh, loading blurry images? Do you start doing that from the beginning or would you like hit a certain metric and then go back and start improving? How would you approach that? For me, it's both. I think there's ways that we can think about that stuff ahead of time. If something's wrong and we need to be more performant, then you start to leverage some of those tools and say, like, how can we improve this? How can we lazy load these assets after the fact? I, I think it's too hard to do up front. It's great to think about it from like the get go. But I do think it's it comes you have to think about that sometimes afterwards. You're adding new features all the time, right? I think if, if you're building it from scratch, fine, but that changes over time. And so I think you have to sometimes change as you go. I, I agree. With, so we do the same thing. So, uh, but I do actually think you should challenge yourself and your team to think about it from the beginning and not even say you're going to think about it later because in, because in reality, there will be things that you, you, you haven't thought of that you'll have to, and you know, performance always is like kind of the last step 
not not ever not all of the performance, but it's kind of like okay, I'm done with the feature. Like now, how can we? It's kind of like the same as refactoring code, right? You write some code and you're like, okay, how can I make this more performant, or how can I refactor this to make this better? Same thing kind of comes true with with performance just as a whole. But I think if you challenge yourself and your team to start from the very beginning to think about that kind of stuff, it's going to make it a lot easier. Or even just like setting up the tools that like kind of like gauge that. Like I know like I've recently started doing more React, and there's like that React add-on that like. React Perf. Which, oh, like, that one is so it's amazing. So, it's so, so awesome. Good. It basically will tell you how many times like certain components are re-rendering, and it's just like free. You just like put it, you just shove it into your project, like to your when you have like dev mode on, you can shove it into your project, and it'll tell you how many times like a React component's re-rendering. And it's just like so helpful. Yehuda, if you're listening, we need that for Ember. <laughs> Ember is open source, Derek. You could write something. <laughs> yeah. When building a new feature for your product, at what point should you start thinking about performance? We kind of touched on that a bit. Like, Sarah, you kind of asked that of, like, when you should start thinking about it. But is it from the start? Is it an ongoing thing? Like, what do you think? I wouldn't overemphasize it, though. Like, you see a lot of really gross code that's, like, not really readable, that's, you know, doing a lot of micro-optimizations. So I would I would avoid that. I would um, try and do things cleanly. And then if you hit pain points, go back, but like, just keep thinking about it. You don't, you shouldn't overthink it. Like if you're um, trying to kill, I don't know, uh, what a good example would be probably maybe like killing code lines of code that, uh, or like, uh, you know, not declaring variables and like reusing them and stuff like things that are harder to debug. I would avoid that for the sake of readability. I don't think that those are really going to help you. In the long run, they're micro-optimizations. I also, I think that we kind of tend to overemphasize performance sometimes, especially in an interview context. Like, I would totally rather have somebody that writes, like, readable code and knows how to work with others that can, like, write the big O of something that's going to be in a library that you're using. Yeah, here's the thing. I think like bug-free code is probably more important than like the micro optimizations. I'm not saying not writing. Pro- I I totally agree though. I think that there you could you can get a little bit too over uh, a little bit too um, crazy about micro optimization. Like like we like um, I don't know. I can't think of a really good example now, but it's just like with like some of the JavaScript. You know, you, with the differences between like for each or a for, what reusing variables is probably. Yeah, I mean, there's just like a but lot that of micro- should be easier with like letting cons. Some people, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying that should be better. Readability is always important, and then the minifier will take care of like the performance handling and stuff. Like, but I struggle with that a little bit, though. Yes, I agree that sometimes you can over optimize, but I think like sometimes being conscious of what you're choosing, even that for loop or for each or whatever, is understanding like what the best resource for what you're trying to achieve and like for performance i think it is important that as your code base grows those little things matter and they add up and when you're on a large code base like linkedin netflix evernote that that does matter and over time that can really impact it i think a lot of it is just knowing your tools too sometimes we sit there and we're like oh my gosh this is going to be so slow this is going to be so slow but then you get into it and you're like using virtual dom and virtual dom kind of makes it fast in a lot of times um and you just kind of can abstract a little bit of that away from you but you still need to be aware of it but like how many things use virtual dom 
I was doing Elm last weekend, and I was like, I sat there, like, as I was reading through the content that we were going to learn, I was like, wow, this sounds like it's going to be really slow. And then, like, two seconds later, there was a paragraph that was like, this sounds like it's going to be really slow, but hey, we have this great virtual DOM library. I got to cheers you on, like, multiple drinks there. There was a couple slows. Oh, cheers. Okay. Drink for Sarah. Woohoo. I guess what maybe, so, like, proper tail calls or something like that, right? Like, super obscure stuff that, like, you... Maybe it's maybe it's even more like it would take you so much time to 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 learn like what the right way to do that kind of stuff, and you're saving so such an insignificant amount of time that uh, I just don't know that that kind of stuff is worth. It. I just think there's 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 somewhat of a line, right? And and it, whether it's readability or whether it's just like investing yourself in like which one is more performant by like you know whatever the 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 metric is it's going to be extremely slow like i think you can over obsess with it like something like the amazon metric they quoted saying like 100 milliseconds of latency costs them one percent in sales one percent is huge you know one percent is a big deal and 100 milliseconds is not a lot the difference between a like four loop or a four each that could make the difference that could be that 100 milliseconds yeah i agree I don't know. For me, I, I feel pretty strong, strongly about it. I think you should always be thinking of performance. And and from, from the very start, I actually, I feel like when you're engineering a website or web application, like the ideal way to do, do it is the performant way. Like that's the ideal way. And when you have like really strong engineering fundamentals, the solution that you come up with will be the most performant one. I, I will say that, like, maybe cases where performance you might not consider it is, like, for example, when you're doing A-B testing and you have a feature that's being just being tested and you really just need to ship it, you're just testing it, you're not even sure how it will perform. So, like, it's just going to run for a week and you just really need to get it out the door, then maybe in those cases it makes sense. But, like, I feel like there's never any reason you shouldn't be thinking about performance. So, I really feel like we should be aware of our use cases because... Like, we, a couple of years ago, we had this situation where everybody was like, Ruby on Rails is awesome. And then Twitter was like, Ruby on Rails doesn't really scale that well. And that, that might be true, but for a lot of apps, that's perfectly a legitimate way to write your app. And like, it's still great for developers. Um, most people aren't going to hit Twitter scale. So you're not really going to need to worry about that. So, um, I was interviewing a candidate the other day that, when we asked the stereotypical question about what was a project or a problem you faced that you solved and how did you solve it? Um, and he was talking about how he was writing this like uh, map library and he was focusing on feature richness because it was, that was the uh, project that he needed to do. But when he started to drill down and had a client that was using a ton of data points, he was having a lot of, struggles with panning and zooming the map a map with all these data points on it is really hard to do and in that case the performance was like really bad but the solving that had already been solved by like google maps where they do the glory map and then they re-render it in the background while you're doing the panning and so like in that case like he was focusing on feature richness at the very beginning but when it came down to performance he was kind of able to think creatively um and uh, get perceived performance instead. That's what I'm trying to say. And I think maybe along the same lines, maybe what you're saying is is also like when you're prototyping something, and you're just trying to like 
yeah, like figure out how stuff works or like just building something like as a proof of concept. Maybe performance isn't like it depends. Like maybe you're building, maybe the prototype is about performance and obvious or not about performance, but about like improving something that, uh, yeah. So, but it, I mean, there's definitely different use cases. But like if you're, yeah, if you're building a prototype, that is probably one example of something that you you may not have to worry about performance. Um, maybe you think about how that's. You always have to have that question about how it scales, right? But um, well, if it's not production code, that that's a different thing. If you're trying to prove something out, I think a prototype is exactly what you're saying there, and it's to test something out. It's not necessarily going in production. Maybe once you start putting it in production, that's when you start thinking about it. That's, I think that's okay. Yeah. Like I, I remember I built like this, um, three, three sixty like thing where you like drag your mouse around and it like moves this, uh, it was a prototype for Sony actually, where you like, they had like a controller, you could zoom in, you could like go around and like you had all these, but like, I think I loaded every single image for this thing on the page. Right. But oh, you know, it's just, yeah, <laughs> it went to production. No, just kidding. <laughs> but you know, it's just like, obviously that was, that was the least of my concern. Yeah. Like I was just trying to make this thing cool. And then like, you know, it would go back and obviously figure out how to load those images. I just, I think we should definitely just be aware of your use case. Like, if you're trying to build something that's really feature-rich and performance is not, like, biggest concern, like, you need to establish that at the beginning of your project and then build it for that. I mean, something that's slightly slow and working versus something that's really fast and not working. (laughs) You would rather have the slightly slow working version, but if you could make it faster, you should. But I think you can get yourself in a a really... (laughs) Right, because if you don't, if you, because I think you can be get yourself too concerned with just getting this to work, and then you're like, oh shit, this works, but it's really slow, and then and you know, and then like, and then you have to refactor everything that you wrote. Whereas it probably would make more sense if you thought about that. It just depends on what you're. I think it's interesting when you're building libraries and frameworks to consider this. Like a a library can either be something that's a very small thing that only does a couple things really well and really perform it. Or it could be this really flexible thing with a ton of features that can be used in a lot of different ways, which is obviously not going to be quite as performant. People who create frameworks, React, Ember, Angular, there's even as they grow, there's things that they're adding to help perform better. I think React 14 had a bunch of performance enhancements. There's like a lot of things that even the frameworks are trying to help improve that over time. Before we end, let's go through today's picks. What does everyone have for uh, their picks? Augustus, you want to start it off? Oh, gosh. Okay, so my picks... So, actually, Derek actually mentioned it earlier. Um, there is this real-time performance with Chrome DevTools talk for 4.js. I think there's actually a YouTube video of it, so that's one of my picks. I also thought it was, like, a great talk. I unfortunately missed it, but after talking to Derek about some of the things, it was, like, really... Oh, actually, I had a different one. Oh, it was a different one? Oh. Yeah, so there's there's multiple. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> well, there's this one, too, then. You can check this one out, too. The other pick, actually, was came from a Netflix talk uh, where they were talking about how to optimize for Node.js, and there's this, like, cool library called Flamegraph where I believe Netflix uses it to, like, kind of gauge... Is that it's... the Node.js and Flames article? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yunong yeah. so, gave that talk? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, that's, that's the one. one. Yeah, so I, I thought it was a really cool library. Like, it just, like, visualizes how much certain tasks are doing. And I get... Granted, you could do the console.time thing that Derek was mentioning with Chrome DevTools, but I thought it was worth checking out. Sarah, what do you have? Cool. So I have a few. I just did this really awesome workshop this weekend from Elmsbridge. Um, it was a free workshop for women in tech to learn Elm, and super awesome, super fun. I encourage anybody 
who's interested in learning to code to check out the Rails Bridge, Bridge Troll. They have a bunch of really cool all-day free workshops. I always sign up for them. They're super awesome. And then my second pick is the Imjex PageWave tool. So Imjex is like a CDN that optimizes your image delivery, and it's super great. Um, a lot of big companies use it. It's actually professors use it. I use it on my website. It's it's a really great way to optimize your image delivery, and there's a huge API for like editing your images on the fly and doing responsive things. They publish this tool that actually lets you put in a website and see how much of an impact your images are currently having, and it shows you how you can use Imjix to optimize it, which is really awesome. And then my third pick is just um, CSS triggers. It's kind of old, but uh, it's just um, a way to know when you're animating or changing things in CSS what the performance aspect is going to be. Um, is it going to cause like a composite, or is it going to cause complete reflow? These are great things to be aware of just when you're doing CSS animations. That's very cool. Derek, what do you have? So my first pick is um, I, it's a shameless plug here. Uh, it's what I've been working on for the past, uh, what is it, October, so 10 months. Um, <laughs> LinkedIn, LinkedIn Learning. So um, it's uh, essentially a different flavor of Linda, which uh, we LinkedIn acquired them uh, about a year ago. And um, so it kind of has more of the social integration piece of it. So definitely recommend checking it out, linkedin.com slash learning. And this week, if you're if you have a chance to listen to the podcast right away, this week we're doing a free week of learning. So we're giving everyone the ability to learn every single course on Linda's uh, li- Linda's library and now LinkedIn Learning for completely for free. So, so we all need to jump on that. So jump on that. There, I, I checked. There are courses on our videos on performance. Um, so. So don't just listen to us. Listen to the Linda videos. Yeah, probably listen better. to the experts. Yeah. They don't drink in the videos. Don't be slow about it. <laughs> They're sober. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> nice. Slow and a pick. And then my other two picks are are more fun. And we started talking about TV shows at the beginning of this episode, so I had to pick. So the first one is Black Mirror. I watched Black Mirror, the first and second episode, British TV series that was amazing. Netflix picked it up and just launched last Friday. They just launched the season three. With more episodes than the first, I think like the first and second season combined. So really, really awesome. Every episode has a different writer and a different story. If you like like the kind of uh, episode that like it's like this big plot twist, and you're like, "Well, what the hell just happened?" Black Mirror is definitely for you. It's really awesome. And then the other one I started watching is uh, called Man in the High Castle. Have you guys ever? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's on Amazon. Uh, so you know, if you don't have Netflix, this one's about if Germany and Japan won the war what would happen. So like America is split between the Nazis and the Japanese and the Japanese. And they actually, San Francisco is in a big part of the story. Cause it's like, yes. And then uh, New York is, is, is obviously controlled by the Nazis, but, but it's a really cool show. It's only 10 episodes. It's more of a mini series, but uh, definitely recommend that one. Awesome. Uh, so I wish Jem was here today, but so Jem and I were both speaking at full stack TO, which is in Toronto this past week. And I took him to my favorite restaurant in Toronto, which is called Kaplansky's Deli. It's like Jewish deli. My favorite thing there is like the smoked meat sandwich. So good. I highly recommend if you're ever in Toronto, that's like the one restaurant you have to go to. It's so good. What did Jim order? I need to know. Well, he ordered that, obviously. And he it was so good that he actually was like, let's go back there. So yeah, that looks good. I'm looking at their website right delicious. now. It's delicious. Like a lot of things on the menu are good. But to me, the smoked meat sandwich is just delicious. You don't need anything else. It's like it's like some rye bread with like a stack of meat. And that's it. Yeah. You can add some mustard if you want. 
You don't need it. It's delicious. So good. My second pick is actually Gustus kind of mentioned in the episode was the React Perf tool. I think it's amazing. There was an engineer on our team uh, just even last week was showing me like a lot of things that we could improve upon in our own code base at Netflix. And it really, really dives deep into like just small little optimizations. Very, very useful if you're using React, definitely to check out. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Where can everyone find you, all the panelists? Augustus. Oh, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Augberto, A-U-G-B-U-R-T-O. You can't find me. I'm a magical unicorn. Just kidding. I'm Sarah underscore Fetterman on Twitter. If Twitter's working, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm at Derek Showers. If not, you can find me on LinkedIn, which always works. And I'm Burgess D. Ryan on Twitter. Uh, thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to check us out on iTunes and Google Play. Rate us to let us know how we're doing. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. At Twitter, we're at FrontendHH. Thank you, everyone. Any last words? I love you guys. And whiskey. <laughs> <laughs>